Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry and we continue with season 7 with a contemporary classic, a film that steered away from the horror cliche by in fact making fun of itself and still yet maintaining some sense of dignity by ironically not following its own taunt. So for today's episode we should talk about Wes Craven's 1996 horror mystery comedy Scream. Directed by Wes Craven and starring Neve Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Rose McGowan, Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich. Like many films that drop in some pop culture reference in films these days, there is probably no film that does it to the extent of Scream. And to narrow down those pop culture's reference into a single genre, the horror genre. And by doing so, and probably for the first time, to rip the process of these slasher movies, these ironic yet unoriginal sequences that happen in Halloween or Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that these new generation of kids now find laughable or just plain ridiculous. The 90s was cool. They were hit. Nothing scared them. It was a decade where you would make jokes and laugh at stupid things. It was the point in cinema where things were changing. But there was no real category it fell under, like the adolescence movie in the 80s or the decades of colour in the 50s. But the 90s didn't become a stereotype of a certain style of movies. Instead, it adapted to the rise of many things, like special effects, the idea of sequels becoming established. By the 90s, all bets were off. There was nothing that hadn't been done before. So it was time to sort of reinvent what a movie was now. The classics in the 80s and 70s were long gone, just taking a back seat in the history of cinema. We had these films that were trying to take itself too seriously, like Austin, well, not taking itself too seriously, like Austin Powers or Adam Sandler movies, Jim Carrey movies. You can also, you also had action movies that were serious, but yet lighthearted in their approach, like Con Air, Face Off, adding that hint of express humour to not take action films too seriously. And if you notice, as the years go on, we actually start to look back at the 90s and realise, wow, these were some really good experimental films, and as time has really not done its thing uh, as the decades have gone on. I mean, the 80s and 70s have been established. 70s was very dark and bleak, with films like The Godfather, Rocky, Deer Hunter, and the 80s just was a juxtaposition of that. It was vibrant, it was colourful, with John Hughes movies that tackled the adolescence of people, the nostalgia of being a teenager, in films like The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller. And the 90s hadn't really fallen into any category, because it was the time when the gloves came off. We were going to do what we want, basically, because being openly gay was a thing now. Sequels were now established. One lines or catchphrases had been established. Special effects was now becoming, you know, heightened. It was the norm in movies. Sex scenes were now becoming more explicit and violence has become more gory and somewhat realistic. So by the start of the 90s, the gloves were truly off and thus begun this mixture of films that spurred out in the 90s. Epic war movies being redone with the use of special effects, storytelling, an established 70s director like Spielberg, who did Saving Private Ryan, who had the special effects to make this film realistic. We could revive those old monster movies, so we had films like Jurassic Park or Lake Placid hit in the 90s. The action movies in the 50s and 60s were now being revamped with Nicolas Cage-esque films, like I mentioned earlier, like Con Air, The Rock, and face-off. Michael Bay introduced the 90s to explosion and car chase scenes with bad boys and mixed in special effects of Armageddon and Pearl Harbor later on after the millennium. But with horror, all they could do and what they started to do in the 80s was become more violent. Use special effects to up the ante on a scare factor or use sex appeal to sell tickets for horror movies. Have more nakedness uh, in the films. Have more blood. 
Now, in the 90s, we had films like I Know What You Did Last Summer, Candyman, Dust Till Dawn, Species were all coming out. Even series like Buffy and Sabrina were playing on the light-hearted ness of the horror genre. And then Scream came along and changed the entire rhythm of what they were doing in the 90s. They were at a point where they could look back and say the 80s and the 70s was ridiculous. Teenagers watching these movies now realise how dumb these movies are. We are ahead of the curve here. I mean, films like Halloween and Friday the 13th just exist now, has nostalgia, has classics, but not to take it too seriously. And so Scream did something original, did something new, and that's why it sold many tickets. That's why Scream is actually quite a revolutionary film. It played on nostalgia, but it was set in the 90s. It was done like a horror film in the 80s, but it got rid of all the elements simply by telling audiences how ridiculous those films were by using the characters' lines. How running up the stairs instead of going out the front door in every horror movie was just ridiculous. Yet in Scream, they do all of that even after they preach about how not to do that or go who's at the door how you should never say who's at the door but they do that in the film and they establish rules and scream and it's a nice moment because it's a subtlety for the audiences that are actually watching it and they speak through the characters in scream scream was like a resurgent for the horror genre that people were excuse the pun screaming for the early 90s were basically just sequels to already made movies in the 80s like freddy krueger's Candyman, jason goes to hell and these would wear and tear the credibility of the horror genre so when scream was desperately released it redefined the horror genre there was no denying its impact it added its own meta twist to this somewhat satire movie while it's at the same time referencing and subtlety making you know subtly making fun of past historic horror movies it breathed life back into the horror genre basically and basically all of the demographics were intrigued adults kids teens it was cool it was hip and it's what that's what it had going for it so scream i mean what's it about it's about uh, a, a man or a woman in a very creepy mask where people or uh, people call Ghostface in the movie which bears a resemblance to edward munch the Scream, hence the title. The painting is currently in Oslo, if you fancy seeing it up on Close and Personal. The mask is actually a caricature of someone screaming and crying at the same time. It depends on which one you see. It looks both horrific and sad at the same time, which is a very unusual effect. Harvey Weinstein, who produced the movie, hated the mask and said it was idiotic and stupid and said, we need to try other masks, otherwise I'm not funding this movie. And the director was like, let's just do the opening scene with Drew Barrymore and see what you think with the mask that I chose. That's what Wes Craven said to Harvey. And after watching the opening scene with Drew Barrymore with the mask that Wes Craven chose for it, he happily accepted and never, ever made a complaint about the mask again. And for Ghostface's signature black robe, that was going to be white to make him appear more like a ghost. That was, however, changed in fear of people comparing the costume to those of the Ku Klux Klan, so they changed that to black. So someone in Scream is going around killing people on the anniversary of another murder that happened at Woodsboro, dressing up as this Ghostface and stalking their prey before viciously killing them with a knife whilst taunting them with a horror movie trivia and references. The opening scene, in fact, with Drew Barrymore was a massive reference to Psycho. Drew Barrymore was the biggest name in the movie, actually, and she appeared in all the posters and did that on person. Uh, on purpose only to kill her off in the opening scene she filmed all of her scenes in the first five days of production and this is a very big reference to psycho because alfred hitchcock kills off his big star in the opening 30 minutes scream kills her off in the opening 10 in that incredible and famous opening scene of the uh the popcorn 
Now, this was a very unintentional intent of the reference because I believe Wes Craven casted Drew Barrymore for Sydney, but Drew Barrymore decided to play Casey, stating that if she played this role, then the audiences would believe anyone could die but her because she was the biggest star and no one would believe she would die. And it was this unintentional reference to Psycho, I guess, that sort of worked out for this movie. There's also another reference in the opening scene where Drew Barrymore's father notices something's wrong and she tells his wife to go to the Mackenzie's, which is the same thing that Jamie Lee Curtis um does in uh halloween with tommy um so if you are a massive horror movie fan you will notice horror trivia sprawled across this movie or references or just little nods it's a great movie for that and jamie lee curtis if you want to go coincidental jamie lee curtis who's actually called the scream queen which may be why it's called scream maybe not because of the painting but jamie lee curtis daughter um is the daughter of janet lee who is the star of psycho who go who gets killed off in 30 minutes in the movie so all these links. And another, and that's what I said. There's some, it probably is the reason it's called Scream because the Edward Munch painting um, was done way before the movie came out. And yeah, it does... I think it drew inspiration for the mask but not for the title of the movie because Randy in the movie says that Jamie Lee Curtis is the Scream Queen which basically means an actress who is more notably known for her horror movies or have reoccurring appearances in them which is like a thing in the 70s and 80s. But there is a scene at the end of the movie where Randy, who is played by Jamie Kennedy, is watching Halloween and is telling her to turn around. So Jamie Lee Curtis does make an appearance in this movie. So another reoccurrence. That's why she's a scream queen. And it's funny for two reasons. Obviously, the killer is behind him, too. Hence the irony. And the second, he's shouting, Jamie, Jamie, turn around, telling Jamie Lee Curtis to watch out for the killer. Well, Randy is played by Jamie Kennedy, both the same name. So a little inside reference to him shouting at himself to turn around, which he should have. Um, but luckily he actually survives that scene but the voice the voice of the killer was actually a guy called roger jackson who doesn't appear in the movie at all drew barrymore and nev campbell never met him in fact it was deliberate that wes craven said don't let anyone meet roger he was on the phone for real though but no one ever saw him which added to the sort of suspense and shock to who the killer was so scream came out five days after christmas in 1996 with a big budget for a horror movie of 14 million dollars and it ended up grossing $173 worldwide, became a massive box office hit. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why release an R-rated slash movie like Scream during the holiday season where people want to see family and seasonal movies? I mean, yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Well, the producers thought that because December was full of these kind of movies, you know, these family comedies, these Christmas movies, and horror movies never used to come out in December. It was like suicide to have a horror movie come out then. You're asking for it to fail, to bomb. But then they thought, well, people really started enjoying teen movies back at summer, and people always wanted to go see them. Let's give them something different, an escape. And so it opened at Christmas at number four, making only $6 million. And the studio was worried. However, the people that had seen it were raving about Scream and soon word of mouth came into play and more and more people saw it the following week and it did this for 12 weeks straight, just constantly rising up and it ended up making more money consistently rather than fading, which is what usually happens after like the first five weeks. The cast was pretty much consistent, you know, it, it was one of those movies that just took a risk. Jaws did exactly the same thing because because Jaws was the big block uh, big blockbuster, and you never really have these movies come out in the summer because everyone's usually on holiday or going to the beach. But Jaws was quite clever in the advertising, and they specifically targeted um, do not go in the water because a lot of people went to the beach, and that's why that film did so well. And they tried to something quite similar with Screamer by doing a horror movie in the seasonal, and it worked quite well. So they took the risk, and it succeeded. 
So the cast was pretty much consistent of accidents and coincidences and just pure fate. Like I said earlier, Drew Barrymore was the main lead, but was chosen. She chose to play a smaller part just for the shock value of her death. You know, she was the head of the poster. She was the first name on all the trailers, but she dies in 10 minutes. And Neve was only in the movie because Wes randomly, just randomly saw her in a film called In Party of Five. So she can't, uh, he casted her after Drew Barrymore turned down the role of Sydney. He thought she could play that innocent-looking female who could also realistically handle herself if needed. And Ski Ulrich was cast because of his striking resemblance to Johnny Depp, who uh, Wes Craven worked with on Nightmare on Elm Street. It was actually Johnny Depp's first film. Very similar opening scene as well, because in the opening scene, when Billy climbs through the window, that's exactly what Johnny Depp does in Nightmare on Elm Street, both directed by Wes Craven. And Matthew Lillard, who a lot of critics say stole the show for this film, got the role by complete accident. He was accompanying his girlfriend at the time to audition for Scream. Um, no, it wasn't Scream. She was auditioning for another movie, but it was in the same building where they were doing the auditions for Scream. And someone saw Matthew just wait in the hallway and they asked him, hey, do you want to audition for this role in this movie Scream? And apparently he nailed the role. And many of his scenes are improvised, including the Houston, we have a problem. And even his reaction to the phone hitting him at the end, which wasn't meant to happen. He was absolutely, he probably did steal it. In my opinion, it was him that made the movie for me. He was fantastic in that movie. And a great addition to the cast, uh, we also had David Arquette was meant to be, David Arquette, who plays the sort of dumbwit cop, he was meant to play Billy, but he chose to play Dewey instead, uh, just because he didn't want to play this uh, hunky leading man. Um, so um, Arquette did a spin on this sort of dumbwit cop, but also quite likeable. So both him and Matthew Lillard were considered to play Billy. But ultimately, Skeet Ulrich got the role because of his resemblance to Johnny Depp. And an interesting little fact, before Skeet Ulrich was cast, another unknown actor was considered to play Billy, but he turned it down. And that actor was Joaquin Phoenix, which would have been a very interesting uh, revelation for the Scream universe. But yeah, Dewey um, was actually meant to die at the end of the movie, but test audiences were so upset when he died because he was so likable. Uh, so they kept him alive for the sequel, and he's like a remaining recurring character in the Scream universe. It was this movie that started his relationship with uh, Courtney Cox. And Courtney Cox actually pursued this role because she wanted to play the sort of bitch to get away from this typecast of this goody-goody that she's known for. You know, during she was still playing uh, Monica and Friends, and she recently did Ace Ventura, and both of those characters were very nice. So she wanted to really play, you know, a bitch, someone who everyone sort of despised. And I thought that was really good for her career as well. And with the legendary Wes Craven, however, he almost didn't sign on to this film. Wes Craven was, of course, doing... He was known for doing horror films. You know, it's like Christopher Nolan known for doing, you know, big blockbuster time movies. But Wes Craven, you know, did so many horror movies. The Last Half on the Left, The Hills of Eyes, Nightmare on Elm Street, but more recently, Cursed and Red Eye. But with Scream, he was about to shy away from it because he didn't want to do another horror movie until a kid came up to him and said that he's gone soft with his horror movies, not as much gore. And he said that his best film was The Last House on the Left, which he did in 1977. So he was fuming. He immediately phoned Miramax and said, that's it. I'm directing Scream. Let's do this. Let's up the ante. He even plays a little cameo in the movie, much like Alfred Hitchcock did in his movies. He plays the janitor in this movie. He also plays uh, the killer in the mask in the opening scene where Drew Barrymore. But of course, we don't see him because he's wearing the ghost face. But, um, yeah, so I'm glad Wes Craven did it. I mean, I think he died like five, six years ago, unfortunately. 
But the film, you know, because I was saying like special effects was uh, coming on the high and they still use quite a lot of practical effects. The film used around 60 gallons of blood for that movie and screen ended up being the most successful horror ever financed by 20th Century Fox, which was followed swiftly by Scream 2 and Scream 3. Of course, the movie follows with massive hints to old horror movies in a contemporary teenage way, but you strip all that away and the question that everyone is asking is the classic, who is the killer? And that's why this film works, because it's so simple. It's just wrapped in layers and layers. But when it comes down to it, it's kind of very Scooby-Doo-ish, and it's who is the killer. And that's what we're trying to figure out, because it's someone we know. The classic question for any mystery or murder mystery is who did it? The revelation is still a shock when you finally reach the film's conclusion. As the, mo- the movie just keeps you guessing with supposed alibis and misdirection, but ultimately, when it comes down to the ending at Stu's house, all is revealed. And spoiler alert, the big reveal is that there are two killers, both Stuart and Billy, Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich. And the motivation, after all, is it's not as serious as it should be, which is another great thing I like about Scream. Whether we believe Stu is in fact out to get Sid because of his mother leaving his father, um, or is it, is it, it's just, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant. It's the fact that he's obsessed with her, sleeps with her, and ultimately doesn't kill her in the end. The revamp of this genre in the 90s indicate that killers don't need motives anymore, as Randy cleverly hints at whilst doing a massive dig at horror movies, saying he doesn't need a motive. Whoever the killer is right now doesn't need a reason to kill. It's the millennium. Stu finally says peer pressure, which, believe it or not, is probably the most realistic motive of them all in this movie. The movie, remember, is not following in any footstep. It's simply speaking loudly about what other movies have done through the killer dialogue or other characters, most notably Randy, the film buff in this movie, who acts as us, the audience, who have seen all these other horror movies. In a time when the horror genre was dying, here came an experimental take on the genre, and many risks were taken, and yet it somehow paid off. Spawning three more sequels, well, actually four, with the original crew turning for the fifth movie. This will be the first movie that's not directed by Wes Craven um, since his death in 2015. But just remember, the three rules in surviving a horror movie, you cannot drink or do drugs, you can't have sex, and the third is never, ever say, I'll be right back. I think that the Scream movies is trying to tell us in a subtle way that no matter how much we rip movies for being over the top and ridiculous, especially in some genres like horror, especially, or even action movies, that there is no denying the realism of some movies despite the irony of thinking that movie is over the top. Like Billy says, life is just one big movie in the most ironic sense possible. In real life circumstances, what would you do if someone ran at you with a knife? It's been done to death. And in studies, it shows naturally people hesitate because of a state of fear and would go up the stairs not out the front door yet the movie mocks this it's quite clever it's a psychological edge of being higher than the the danger rather than applying logic so in a psychological study if someone does come at you with a knife and you've got the option of going upstairs or out the front door most people would actually go upstairs not out the front door as they do in every single horror movie we have to trust that these films do their research on how and why. The blood and gore is just for us, like Tarantino says. The entertainment of not going through life witnessing this detailed end of someone's life and misery. The thrill that most of us will ever experience is being scared and running is watching a horror movie. The movie takes us on that ride. But 
I could talk about Scream a little bit more, but I think I'm getting over to 20 minutes now, so that is all I have time for with Scream. Truly a great example of contemporary classic where the movie ironically did not follow any rules and decided to try and revive the dying genre, which I think it did. Anyways, please subscribe to me. I'm on Spotify, iTunes, and I'm also on Google. And you can find me on Instagram, film, exploration, AH, or lowercase, or one word. And once again, thank you for listening to Scream with Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.